This is episode 51 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. It is the Ides of March, I think. Well, it's either today or tomorrow anyway. I couldn't be bothered to look that up. Um, To be honest, though, I'm not sure why I should beware the Ides of March. My name's not Caesar, and uh, I haven't had terrible things happen to me on that day for a while. Uh, The 17th, sure. I mean, sometimes I wake up on the 18th. I'm not even sure why I'm in the Chicago River. But I don't fear the 15th of March, at least not nearly as much as I fear the 15th of April. Anyway... Uh, today is Pi Day, though, and uh, I'll go ahead and just, you know, pad out my time by telling a story. Uh, I went by the name Pi on uh, many online forums uh, on uh, it all goes back to my time in the fraternity house, which I know you don't care about. But like I said, it's my podcast. So screw you. Uh, when I was joining as a freshman, of course, as a freshman and a pledge at the frat house, you don't have any rights at all. And uh, my big brother in the fraternity house decided that, you know, everybody had a nickname and they decided that my nickname was going to be, well, they decided that they wanted to rhyme it with my name. And uh, I wanted to put a stop to that, but I was like, there's no way that I can do, you know, I didn't have the leverage for this. So instead I said, well, what about pie? Cause I'm a math major and it sort of rhymes with Ryan and uh, it stuck. It worked. And so I was known as Pi for the rest of my time there. And then I was known as Pi online. And it's uh, an interesting coincidence that when I joined the No Agenda community, that was when I started being known as my actual name, Ryan Bemrose, which is funny because, you know, that's not something you can really take back. And at this point, uh, being canceled is a thing. And maybe I should have still gone by Pi. But the eh, cat's out of the bag on that one. Anyway, uh, this is a tech news show, and the biggest tech story of the week, at least, is the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, People are currently throwing blame around, blaming lax regulations, blaming insufficient investment reserves. I'm not really here to get into the political reasons for it, but I will tell you lots and lots of people are freaking out about it because the bank has officially closed after a run on the bank. Everybody tried to remove their funds at once. And with fractional reserve banking, that is not good for a bank. Uh, especially people are freaking out in Silicon Valley, where there are a lot of startups who suddenly don't have access to their funds. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank catered to companies whose business plans involve running a negative cash flow for years until they can be bought out by a larger competitor. Now, They can't make payroll and the larger competitors aren't coming along to buy them up. So we're going to see quite a few of these startups shudder. uh, And a lot of them are going to say, oh, no, it was totally Silicon Valley Bank. They closed. And and the fact that we didn't run with any kind of margin or runway at all had nothing to do with it anyway. um, They're the rainy day plans for these Silicon Valley companies pretty much don't exist. 
which ironically mirror California's actual rainy day plans, which is nothing as Californians continue to act all surprised when the completely predictable rainy season is upon them, an event that's happened every couple years for the last 50,000, but somehow it's your fault this time because you haven't switched to an electric vehicle yet. Anyway, like I said, not here to get political. From the shiny sky flashlight department, our first topic is about the moon. You know, that bright whitish thing in the night sky, Earth's only nat natural satellite. Accepted science tells us that it's a big ball of rock about a quarter of the diameter of the Earth spinning around our planet at a distance of 250,000 miles, give or take. Flat earthers tell us that it's a flood lamp stapled to the skybox. Or maybe that it's a rendering error where the sun's sprite is Z-fighting with the starfield texture. I don't know. I'm skeptical. Florida cloud computing startup Lone Star Data is counting on it being made of rock and not, say, cheese. Lone Star issued a press release announcing their grand plans to build, quote, a series of data centers on the moon and that they have raised $5 million in funding to do just that. They want to establish a viable platform for data storage and edge processing. Now, edge processing, if you're not familiar with the term, is the practice of storing your data in physical location nearest to where it's going to be used in order to reduce network latency, which begs the question, who is on the moon to use this data? Do they know something that I don't? Are there, are they catering to alien moon bases? Are they serving that all important pumice dem demographic? I'm having a hard time getting Wikipedia to tell me the current population of the moon, but I bet that Bing search can do it. If I turn on their AI setup or system, I don't think the number's very high though. According to Lone Star's founder, though, data is the greatest currency created by the human race. We are dependent upon it for nearly everything we do, and it is too important as to us as a species to store in Earth's ever more fragile biosphere. I have to ask, why not? I mean, we store everything else here as a species. It's kind of where we use it. He went on, Earth's largest satellite, our moon, represents the ideal place to safely, safely store our future. Buddy, do you have any data to back up that claim? Disaster recovery is big business in big data, the big data equivalent of keeping offsite backups. In this case, way, way offsite if they're putting it on the moon. But tell me this, if the earth is destroyed, how important do you think it will be really to keep advertising your database offsite to the moon when there's nobody left on the planet to pay your hosting fees? Never mind that $5 million won't even buy a cup of coffee in space, let alone compared to what it actually costs to put a payload into orbit which is usually, you know, a minimum of 10 times that. But hey, I think we all know the real reason that Lone Star issued this press release. They are attention-seeking. And hey, it worked. Even Angry Tech News is talking about it. Our second story about the moon and corporate marketing is a little closer to home. Samsung is very proud of the picture-taking abilities of their newest Galaxy phones. This one was sent in by Booberry, and I do really thank him for it. I had a great laugh over this story. Uh, Samsung has come up with a feature called their scene optimizer for space zoom feature. Um, I'm not sure if that's a brand name or paraphrased, but they've got lots of ads in marketing, most of which I don't watch about how their S21 ultra can take pictures of objects in space, even better than a DSLR camera. Of course, everybody who buys one of these phones rushes out immediately to take pictures of objects in space to wow their Instagram followers. And sure enough, the images are crisp, clear, and show a surprising amount of detail all thanks to Samsung's AI. The company says that the trick is to capture dozens of shots from the camera and then feed them through a specially trained AI to get the best parts of the image from each one. 
Not a difficult task, really, once you realize that there's only one object in space that could possibly be captured by these phones. It's the moon. Unfortunately, Samsung's marketing is not being as well received as the company might hope, and there are claims out there that the phones are faking their pictures to get the super detailed photos of the moon, saying things like, any vague lay moon-like object will be enhanced by their AI. The company shot back at these accusations saying, no, no, our AI, it's just interpolating the data. It's taking hundreds of pictures when you click the button and, and grabbing the best parts of each one and building the whole thing. Well, an Instagram and Reddit user named iBreakPhotos decided to actually test Samsung's claim and put together an experiment. The experiment was he took a JPEG of the moon and intentionally blurred out and uh, a, a bunch of the detail and displayed it on a computer screen. The result is that the picture, the raw picture he was taking, he, I'm guessing it was he, I'm gonna assume, the detail does not exist. There is no amount of interpolation between multiple shots. There is no number of photographs that this thing can take of a blurred JPEG on a screen that will restore all of the detail that Samsung is putting into these moon photos. Yet, when he took a picture of this screen from across the room, the photos came out with incredible detail. In fact, much more than this, than iBreak Photos $900 DSLR. So the question is, is the company lying? Well, yes and no. See, the moon is tidally locked. The same face of the moon always points at the earth. So adjusting for rotation, lighting conditions, and moon phase, pretty much every photo of the moon taken from the earth is going to be exactly the same. Samsung's AI was trained on images of the moon and told you need to add detail to these images. Since every moon image is the same photo, it quickly learned to recognize when somebody is taking a picture of the moon and to add the detail that the AI knows must be there. The image is the moon and the AI is just putting in the parts that it knows are there. And anyway, never mind that the user's hand might've been shaky or even that the optics in that tiny lens on the back of the phone are physically incapable of capturing that much detail. This, by the way, is not a marketing problem. This is not a design problem. It is a physical constraint. The size of that lens cannot possibly capture the level of detail being put into this. You need a bigger lens for it. That's how optics work. And you can't really fix this by throwing more designers at it. But you can throw an AI at it. The AI knows that you meant to take a picture of the moon. So by God, that's what you're going to get. And who cares if marketing stretched the truth a little bit? I mean, users are going to get stunning images of the only object in space that they can photograph. And Samsung gets to sell more phones. And at the end of the day, isn't that what's important? Intellectual honesty be damned. <laughs> From the still locked in department, perennial Apple purchasers had much to rejoice about a few months back when the company announced it was going to finally move off of their semi-proprietary lightning connector and that new phones would now be equipped with a much more standardized and governmentally mandated, if you're in the EU, USB-C connector. Finally, you'll be free from, the, from only being able to use overpriced Apple-specific peripherals. Finally, you can use generic USB hardware like every other computing device on the planet. I mean, once you purchase yet another phone, of course, they're not putting it in existing phones. Oh, but not so. Apple Insider reports that Apple's made, made for iPhone program, which limits the hardware that works with the phone to only Apple approved and certified peripherals. 
a label for which the manufacturer of the peripheral paid a tidy sum to Apple, will indeed be continuing on into the USB era. Uncertified devices will simply not work on the phone. Apple Insider reports that there is, however, a silver lining. Some third-party accessories might be cheaper than the official Apple products, they say, which is like saying it's slightly more user-friendly than a forced Windows update, or slightly more pleasant than being waterboarded. From the always-on computing department, from Wilbraham, Massachusetts, comes a heartwarming story of how Internet of Things automation made everyone's lives more, better and more convenient. Wait, no, this isn't that kind of story. We don't do that here at Angry Tech News. When the Minishog Regional High School was built over a decade ago, the district decided that controlling lights using switches on the walls was so last century. Instead, they contracted with a Chinese company to install a centralized green lighting system to manage all of the lights in the building, easily controllable from a centralized computer UI. Everything seemed to work okay until the system inevitably broke in August 2021 when the whole school went dark. After some tinkering, they were able to put the system into an emergency mode, which turned all of the lights on in the entire school permanently, which is how it's been for the last year and a half. The company that installed the system in the high school has gone out of business, and the company that bought their assets is clueless but scrambling to try to fix some of the problems. Some of the workarounds that the school employees have done, uh, teachers were removing bulbs from the fixtures in order to reduce the lighting level. Uh, they can't show videos or movies in the in this classroom because the lights don't turn off. Uh, janitorial staff now goes around after school shutting off breakers, which I'm sure is way easier than going around shutting off switches in classrooms. But still, there are some lights that still just never turn off, like all of the hallway lights for safety reasons, all of the the front lights, all the ones outside the school are on 100 percent full all the time, 24-7, using taxpayer dollars. Well, there is some good news to this story. After months of resident complaints, the school board finally has a plan to fix the system by spending another $1.2 million worth of tax dollars on a brand new green computer system to control the lights, this time with an override switch. Some people never learn. Me, I'm okay with the switch on the wall. I'm going to cut it off there. Uh, angry thanks go out to Baron Spud the Mighty and to Progo for their support of Angry Tech News this week, both of whom came in via check. There was nothing in the PayPal at all, uh, but that's okay. Most of you who support this show do so every four weeks, presumably for bookkeeping and because of the convenient monthly PayPal button at angrytechnews.com. I do really appreciate that sustaining support. None of those donations happen to trigger this week, but I'll try not to get too emotional just because it's that time of the month for me. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen. But we are funded by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $5, $23.75, or $1.2 million. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer with a mic. I'll be back next week with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the angry programmer Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. 
Stay angry, my mofos.